The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey everyone, welcome to Round Ball Stew. I am Matt Straub. It is Friday, June 3rd, and today we will be looking at the latest from the NBA Finals where the Celtics took a 1-0 series lead on Thursday night. But we're going to start things off with a special guest. It is the Raptors beat reporter for TSN Sports, Josh Lewenberg, here to break things down on what's going on with the Raptors. Josh, thanks for being here, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Awesome. Uh, so, so for starters, I got to ask background do you play fantasy sports and is basketball part of that equation I, i'm really into fantasy sports primarily football and baseball okay. I, I used to really be into fantasy basketball i i played it for years and then i don't know as i got into the industry i, I sort of backed off fantasy basketball a little bit i'm in the room with yeah. the guys and i'm too emotional i get too into it with like football right. and baseball like i get angry at dudes who aren't performing well and i i can't i have to be impartial right i have to be in the room right. with these guys so but i still right. kind of view it from the fantasy lens a little bit right like players playing well and i'm thinking like okay this would be a pretty good guy to pick up right now <laughs> or like ooh, if only this guy could extend his range and add the three-point shot be a first right. round pick so i still sort of look at it like that I, I, that never goes away right i mean you never stop thinking once once you've gone down that road there's no turning back and I do feel like a, a pretty valid reason not to be playing is like, I have to be professional. So I, I, I respect that reasoning. I get too emotional. I can't separate it. Yeah. It's funny because for me, I still play a lot of fantasy basketball, obviously, as a fantasy basketball podcast. Fantasy football, super into that. Fantasy baseball used to be my number one for, for I don't know, 15 years. You know what I mean? It was all I, it was the main thing I cared about. And uh, that's the one that I've really backed off from, kind of like you with basketball. You need a fantasy break. You know, year-round fantasy is uh, it's too much. Puts I get it. There's just nothing else going on in the summer. And I like the fact, like, it's such a stat-driven sport that it sort of lends itself really well to yeah. fantasy. Like, at one point, I was playing fantasy hockey, but you really got to search for categories there. Like, it's goals and assists. Yeah. And then after that, like, really penalty minutes. Like, we're, we're counting that, really. But, like, baseball, yeah. there's so many relevant stats that it's just kind of, like, it, it works out pretty well for fantasy. I, I, and I, I, I like the idea of, like, keeping track of the prospects as well. That's the kind of fun element for of sure. fantasy, fantasy baseball. I realized, for me, that baseball is the one sport where I wasn't totally corrupted as a fan and I could just watch the Braves and it could be, like, a pure experience. So I was like, I, this is the one that I can get away with it in. You know what I mean? Other sports, I'm like... It's it's all ruined for me um, in a good way. And I did play fantasy hockey for a couple of years, by the way, a long time back to try to get that to stick. But uh, yeah, I had a glorious two-year run before everyone figured out that you take goalies early. Uh, and then, uh, I'm not a hockey guy. I'm a bad Canadian. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Well, they shun me up here because I, I don't I don't like hockey. All right. Well, that you're talking to a guy from Atlanta, so uh, it's it's a safe safe hockey free zone here mostly um all right so for starters josh as we said there's a fantasy basketball podcast first and foremost and for people who play fantasy nick nurse and the raptors rotation as i'm sure you thought about 
was an absolute dream this season yeah. for fantasy managers, right? The five primary starters all average between 35 and 38 minutes a game this season. Do you expect the Raptors to continue relying so heavily on their top five core guys this coming season? Can we bank on, on a similar bl- blueprint next year? I think so. Like at the end of the day, that's sort of been Nick Nurse's MO the entire time that he's been with the Raptors is that he sort of leaned on his guys. He's the new Tom Thibodeau in that respect. (laughs) I I think the answer to that question is it depends what the front office does in terms of filling out their bench. It depends how they use their mid-level exception and whether they bring Chris Boucher and Thad Young back. And then ultimately, like, is Delano Banton going to take a big step in year two? Is Malachi Flynn going to take a big step in year three? Because at the end of the day, the reason why Nurse was relying so heavily on his top five, and I I mean, I guess you could say top six by the end of the year with Precious Achua included in there, Mm -hmm. is he didn't trust his bench. And then they get Thad Young, and he sort of solidifies – their bench a little bit and Boucher I thought towards the second half of the year like he really embraced that role of instead of coming in and jacking up shots and and trying to score points as he did the year before in in the bubble uh, or sorry in Tampa um, he he sort of embraced that he always talks about Dennis Rodman coming in and trying to impact the game through rebounding and 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 hustle and all that stuff like once that happened they they kind of built a a nice little eight nine man rotation that they liked but at the same time like you're not getting through an 82 game season with eight or nine guys like that's a playoff rotation that's not a regular season rotation so i still think there's work to be done from a front office standpoint okay so let's talk about the work from that front office standpoint and obviously not the biggest name on the team but a guy you just mentioned chris boucher is arguably the biggest free agent are there any indications that he will be back wants to be back does toronto want him back because i mean you mentioned the issue of trust it seems like watching from afar nick nurse easily got frustrated with this guy a guy who in terms of fantasy numbers can be as explosive as anybody but yeah. the minutes game to game were all over the place so so how do you see this playing out for boucher yeah, from, it's funny because from a fantasy standpoint, the embracing the new role probably wasn't a great thing. I mean, the minutes were up a little bit, but you, you want when, when you've got Boucher in the game, you want the blocks, you want the threes, you want him scoring points. And he wasn't always doing that when he was embracing the idea of doing the little things. But I think it probably made him some money this summer because whether it's the Raptors or somebody else, like – you want those guys. There's value in having those guys because Boucher, for all of his strengths, was never going to be like a big minute starter in the league, but he's kind of found a niche now. So I, I do think like he's not getting more than the mid-level exception wherever he ends up, but there there's value in having a guy like that. I'm going to include Thad Young in this conversation as well because I think okay. those two are grouped together as sort of the, the two unrestricted free agents for the Raptors. I do think they want both of them back. I do think there's a good chance that both of them do come back because the Raptors are sort of limited in their ability to go out and add this summer. They're almost certainly going to be a team that operates above the cap. They haven't been under the cap in in years, I think, since the summer where they signed Damari Carroll. So they don't really have money to spend. Your guy in in Atlanta, Damari Carroll. Um, They don't really have money to spend in free agency. They're going to have the mid-level exception. And that's why having bird rights for... Uh, Boucher and Thad Young are are valuable because you can go over the cap to sign those guys, to bring those guys back, then use the mid-level exception to bring in somebody else. You can't replace them if they leave. That's sort of the Mm. the reality of being a a team that's above the cap. 
Um, so I do think, especially for that young, they gave up. I mean, the expiring contract of Goran Dragic wasn't wasn't much, but they moved down 13 spots in the draft. They traded their first rounder, which turned out to be pick 20 for Detroit's second rounder, the 33rd pick. They moved down 13 spots in the draft in order to get the expiring contract of Thad Young. And the only reason or the only way that would make sense to me is if they utilize his bird rights to bring him back. So, um, yeah, I think that's the plan is to bring both of those guys back and then add another player um, with the mid-level exception. I mean, there's always those reports and those rumors out there, rumblings of like, is Rudy Gobert available? Would the Raptors be interested in him, DeAndre Ayton? Um, and that's just, I talked about Nick Nurse's MO. That's Masai Ujiri's MO. If there's a big name out there, he's good. They love big name hunting. They're going to kick the tires and make a call whenever there's a player available. But at the end of the day, like I think this is going to be a pretty quiet offseason for the Raptors. What I talked about is what I think they're planning on doing in order to build around this young core that they really like. I don't see them breaking up that young core, at least not this summer. Well, and more to come on that young core in a second. Boucher, I would I would argue, good good fit for the Raptors in real life. Fantasy-wise, him staying in Toronto is maybe not the worst nightmare, but, I mean, the status quo is frustrating. So I guess we're kind of, if he if he resigns, we're just kind of uh, setting ourselves up for... You want him to go to, like, OKC turbulence. or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 45 glorious games before he's shut down by the Thunder. Um, oh, maybe not. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. The young core, because because this is fascinating. Scotty Barnes, after you know his numbers in college didn't jump off the page, so we were all kind of wondering what's he going to look like in the NBA. But he stepped into the league immediately, put up difference making numbers. You know, f- around fifteen points, seven and a half boards, three and a half assists, one point one steals, point seven blocks, point eight threes. I mean, still only twenty years old. Josh, what are the expectations for Scotty Barnes in year two in terms of the potential leap upward he could make? Well, remember when I said I look at guys still through that fantasy lens and I'm thinking, oh, yeah. if only this guy could add the three and then there's a future fantasy first round pick. Yeah. Scotty's one of those guys that I, I had in mind when I made that comment. Like, I truly believe that this this is the type of guy when he's out there that does a little bit of everything. Like, he's going to give right. you the defensive numbers. His The percentages are good as a big or like quasi big at this point, like point forward. He's giving you the assists as well. I'm expecting a big jump in year two. And the reason why I say that is look at what happened after the all-star break this year. He was sort of hitting the rookie wall a little bit just before the all-star break. He got off to that great start and then tailed off a little bit. And then he has the week off. He spends some time in Cleveland for the the rookie sophomore game and he's around the all-stars. And I think that experience helped him, but also the time off because then he comes back and he has the fresh legs and he looks like a, a, a different player and let's be honest, that stretch won him the Rookie of the Year because prior to the mm-hmm. All-Star game, it was Evan Mobley's award right. to lose. So I always think to myself, if that's what he can do with a week off, what is he going to be able to do with a full off season? Yeah, he, he's going to have some time off, a chance to take a breath after what's been sort of a whirlwind few years for him. But he's also going to have a lot of time to work on his game. And we're already seeing some of those clips and videos on on. Uh, Twitter uh, of him adding things to his repertoire. It looks like he's tightened his handle a little bit. Um, He's tweaked his mechanics on the jump shot a little bit, which obviously gets people excited because, again, if he adds that three, ceiling's really high for him. So I I expect him to take a big jump in year two. 
Well, and I mean, he's already starting from a baseline of 0.83s as a rookie. So it's not like, you know, he hit 0.1 or something and we're like, well, maybe he could hit. I mean, it's there, but, you know, improving it obviously would be a big step up. And I don't know. I just start to imagine the numbers. If, if you started out at 15, seven and a half, three and a half, I'm thinking, can he go to like 18 and nine with like four or five assists as a second year player? Uh He's, he's going to be an early-round fantasy guy, I think. My uh, go-to every year when I used to play fantasy basketball, my go-to every year in the first round was Andre Karolenko because I used to love – I love the idea oh, that he could just do everything. And he was hurt all the time, and it ended up being frustrating every year that I took him. But I'm like, ooh, if he stays healthy yeah. this year, he's he's contributing everywhere. And that Scotty Barnes' ceiling is like Andre Karolenko times 10. Wow. I mean – yeah. Oh, you're saying you like guys who could get like 1.6 steals and like 2.5 blocks. <laughs> Kirilenko was was yeah. amazing when he played. I, it, I don't know. Yeah, Barnes, Barnes is wildly intriguing. Let's move on, though, to OG Ananobi. Now, on the plus side, his scoring average has gone up every year he's been in the league, all the way up to a career-high 17.1 points per game this past season. Games played, though, trending in the opposite direction, just 43 and 48 games the last two years. Do you see durability as a as an actual concern with Ananobi moving forward? Because I feel like not every guy who misses games for a year or two is the same situation. You know, we can't evaluate all of those the same. So how do you evaluate this situation? I think indirectly it is starting to become a concern. Not in me. Like I know a lot of people talk about like, oh, well, he, he's injury prone and that's the concern. I don't look at it so much in that way because you look at a lot of the things that he's dealt with over the years and they've been fluke injuries. Like he, he missed the mm-hmm. entire championship run in 2019 because of an appendectomy, an emergency surgery just before the playoffs. He's been poked in the eye more times than I can count. He's had like right. concussions and just like very, I mean, even this year, a hip pointer, he took a hard hit in, in mm-hmm. practice. Like these things can happen. My concern is this. At this point in his career, he hasn't really shown the ability or maybe the willingness to play through a lot of these things. And that's where mm-hmm. durability becomes a concern because it's a long season. It's a it's a physical sport. These things happen. You accumulate right. the injuries and the bumps and the bruises. We're going to talk about Fred Van Vliet later on. And, and that topic is especially relevant with Fred because he takes a lot of those hits and a lot of those bumps and bruises. But Van Vliet plays through those things until he ultimately can't anymore. And that's another concern. But at least he's shown the willingness to play through them. I think even last season, and I think the Raptors are maybe getting a little bit frustrated with this because there were a few incidences where Nick Nurse made sure to tell us that, yes, OG had been medically cleared. It's just a question of pain tolerance. And when he's okay with getting back on the court. Normally, teams don't reveal that, but I think become a little bit of a pattern where the choice is maybe his as opposed to the medical staff or the team, and he's making that decision to sit out a little bit longer. And I get it because there are, there's a lot of money at stake in the game. He's, he's right. signed to a long-term contract, but at the same time, you've got the agents, you've got people in your head saying, okay, well, wait until you're close to 100%. But from a fantasy standpoint, you want him out there. The Raptors, yeah. from a reality standpoint, want and need him out there. And from a development standpoint, it, it's really set him back because it does seem like every time OG takes a big step forward, and he's he's been on the cusp, I think, for a few years of really taking that next step as yeah. an elite two-way wing in this league, a league that values two-way wings, every time that happens, something knocks him a step or two back, and it's usually an injury. All right, well, that's, that's good insight because, I, you know, 
I tend to, like you said, forgive the fluke injuries, but it's good to know that maybe the player has has to date not been super inclined to push through some things he could potentially push through and get out there faster. Pascal Siakam was great last year, coming off an injury, shoulder surgery. He averaged 22.8 points, 8.5 rebounds, 5.3 assists, 3 rebounds and assists, both career bests. Add in 1.3 steals, 0.6 blocks, 1.13s. Turn 28 in April. Uh, so in your mind, have we seen his ceiling or close to his ceiling and was last year it? I don't think so. I, I mean, you mentioned his age, 28. I, I, I guess at that point, you're you're already into your prime years. But you have to remember with Pascal, he, he's a late bloomer. He picked up the game late, later in life than, than most guys. And then also, you mentioned this as well, is like the injury. Last offseason was a write-off for him. He had... Mm-hmm. Uh, shoulder surgery very early in the summer, spent the rest of the offseason rehabbing, missed the first 10 games of the season, and then probably spends the next 10 games getting back into game shape. So, and then he goes on and has a career season regardless of that. So in the same way we we're talking about with Scotty Barnes, like if he could do that with uh, with a, a week off during the All-Star break, what is he going to do with a right. full offseason? I'm thinking the same thing with Pascal too. Yakim is a guy that for – most of those off seasons early in his career, he was known as a guy that was really adding to his game and getting better every year. He's a former most improved player. And it mm-hmm. wasn't out of nowhere either. We saw all those mixtapes of his work during the summer, working out with Rico Hines in LA. And every year it seems like he was adding to his game. He hasn't had a full off season in a while. He had the injury last year, then the pandemic before that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I still think that there's room to grow there. I think there's another level and I was really encouraged by what I saw last year because a lot of people were writing him off after what was a, a really rough year and a half for him. That was a miss for me in fantasy last year. Siakam, I was scared off by the shoulder surgery. I would see him go off the board and be like, all right, well, good luck with that gamble. But it, I mean, it really paid off. I think for people who drafted oh, what him. a bargain he, played- he must've been. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was great. Um, so I'm I'm excited for him next season. Gary Trent as well. It's a theme with the Raptors. I mean, a lot of these guys had career years. 18.3 points per game, 1.7 steals, 3.03 pointers. I mean, one drawback with him is a low field goal percentage. It's just south of 42% for his career. He's still just 23, though. I mean, how much more room do you think this guy has to grow? What, what do you see his trajectory being? Could he become a consistent 20-plus points per game scorer? along with all those steals and threes, is there room for that on this roster? Well, there's definitely another level there, right? Like, he's only 23. He's young. Mm. And, I mean, for him, like, he comes to the Raptors in that Norman Powell trade at the deadline a couple years ago. And and at the time, like, he's probably more of a catch-and-shoot player. Sort of viewed him in that, like, sixth-man type of role. You bring him off the bench. He gets hot quickly, sort of in the same role that, as as Tyler Hero played. But then last offseason, Nick Nurse challenged him defensively to put as much effort and focus, attention to detail as he does on the offensive end, on the defensive end. And, I mean, I think he took a big step on, on that end of the floor this year. Still a little inconsistent, like that effort comes and goes a little bit more than you want to see. But what he did prove is that when he's locked in on that end, he's really, really good, at least on the ball. And from a fantasy perspective, that bore fruit as well, because 
his, uh, he, he was among the league leaders in steals, mm-hmm. among the league leaders in deflections. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's potential there to become a really good two-way guard, maybe quasi-wing player. In terms of whether there's room for him to become that or to do more on this team, let's put it this way. The, the, there was a, a debate all year long in Toronto about the starting five. Obviously, those mm-hmm. five guys that they leaned heavily on, a bit unconventional from a right. from a lineup standpoint, just because you don't have a traditional center there, you don't have sure. a traditional big. I mean, you could argue three different guys on that team, depending on the game and depending on the matchup, were the center. Like OG, right. more often than not, was probably the center rather than Barnes or Siakam, right. who are more like perimeter players. So right. the big question this offseason, I think, from a like, who do you go out and get standpoint or what what's the position of need, if the Raptors go out and get a center somehow, some way, even if they don't, even if it's like Precious Achua or Ken Birch that mm-hmm. end up starting next year and there's an argument to be made that they should, who's going to the bench? It's probably Gary Trent Jr. And if that's mm-hmm. the case, the numbers probably come down, the minutes come down. So from that standpoint, I think there's a concern probably from like the fantasy side. But from a, a development standpoint, I, I still think there's room to grow here. And the Raptors really like him. His contract's weird, though. I mean, he's got an opt-out after this year, so he's basically on an expiring deal. Okay. All right, so adjusting my draft rankings here, Scotty Barnes moving even further up, Gary Trent down. Maybe a little little, little down. <laughs> Last guy I want to ask you about is a guy we mentioned already, Fred Van Vliet. A really strong year when he was on the floor. Also a career best in scoring for him, 20.3 points per game. Durability, it becomes a question for him too. Knee issues, hip issues late in the year. We talked about what we think that means for Ananobi. Let's evaluate Van Vliet you know, in a vacuum here. Is durability something you worry about with him moving forward? Yes. There's about 50 reasons why you could compare Fred Van Vliet to Kyle Lowry, the successor of the Lowry throne in Toronto. Uh, but this is another thing, and I, I get flashbacks to Kyle because – Early on during Lowry's time with the Raptors, it was sort of the same thing every year where he would come to camp in really good shape. He would take all the charges and and accumulate all those bumps and bruises over the course of the season. And then by mid-season, he's starting to wear down. He's starting to wear down. By the end of the year, he's hurt. And then he's going into the playoffs. And this was really the issue for the Raptors is he would go into the playoffs and he would be dealing with something pretty significant. Like one year there was a back issue. Then he had like elbow bursitis. And these are all like none of, as opposed to the OG injuries that were like kind of fluke injuries, these are accumulation of of more serious lingering things over the course of, of a long season. So the solution, and eventually the Raptors, I don't know that they found one, but they started to at least look into finding one where it's like, okay, how do we, take some of that toll off of him. How do we manage his workload? And this was after they were swept by Washington in the first round in 2015, that they went out and they signed Corey Joseph, take some of the minutes from him. Um, that That's what needs to happen here. And I'm going to be really interested to see what they do in free agency. If Masai and the Raptors target a, a point guard to come in and help Fred, I think one thing that Nick Nurse mentioned, because I asked this question at the end of the season, is how do you manage his workload differently? As the season went on, they entrusted Siakam and Barnes more with the ball handling as secondary playmakers. And even when Van Vliet wasn't on the floor as quasi-point guards, I I think the plan is to do that more 
to start the season to take some of the pressure off of Fred. If they can successfully do that, I think that helps. But that's the concern for Van Vliet. And I would say even more so than Lowry. At least Lowry's got some cushion. He's built a little bit. He's built a little bit more to take some of those hits than a a more slenderly built Van Vliet. So with with guys that size, that is absolutely the concern. If I'm a fantasy owner drafting Van Vliet, and I absolutely would draft Fred Van Vliet, maybe I'm looking to um, enjoy the benefits of having him for the first chunk of the season and then trade him in January or February yeah. because yeah I'm I'm cautious cautiously optimistic that the Raptors will find a way to solve this problem but with a guy like Van Vliet that always has to be in the back of your mind I think we need like long-term long-term not permanent tattoos for situations like that like a three-month tattoo you put on your arm like trade Van Vliet in January you know what I mean because you'll get you'll get you'll be enjoying the experience so much you'll forget to, that you're ever going to do that sell high. Yeah. it's it's not easy to do you want to sell low you don't you don't want to sell high but um it, you, you yeah. might have to with guys like that it's only a sell high if you don't want to trade the guy you know what I mean you have to like you know we like oh I'm going to sell high on this guy let me trade this guy the first guy you think of is not you're not really selling high because you don't want that guy anyways you know what I mean it's always I don't want to trade this guy right now that's the actual sell high if that makes sense and I was going to say Quickly, following up on Van Vliet, do you think it's a matter of they will manage him in terms of minutes? He was at 38 last year. Or like load manage him in terms of games or possibly both? I don't think the load management comes in until it absolutely has to. Like Mm. by the end of the year, it had to because he was dealing with a bunch of different injuries. The knee was the main thing towards the end of the season. And they had no choice at that point. I I think the goal is going to be to try and prevent that before it happens. So yeah, I, I think the minutes need to come down and that's easier said than done, especially for a guy like Nick nurse, who a lot of times just can't help himself. He always talks at the, the running joke in Toronto after like a guy comes back from injury. We always ask, is there a minutes cap? Is there a minutes limit on this guy? And he like laughs and says like, like, yeah, there is, but like, I'm not even going to tell you what the number is because like, it's probably not going to happen. If they're out there, they're going to play big minutes. That's yeah. just the way that it is. So, um, yeah, I, I think it, it's probably going to come down to what's the alternative there. Because taking Van Vliet, a guy who's been – it's the same thing with Lowry over the years. They're so valuable and there's such a drastic drop-off when you take those guys out of the lineup that y- you, you can try to buy a few minutes here and there with them off the floor. But Nurse is a guy that wants desperately to win every single game. And as long as that's the priority – you want Van Vliet on the floor. So what's the alternative? Delano Banton and Malachi Flynn last year, they were not it. So right. yeah, having Barnes and Siakam handle the ball a little bit and being able to trust them to run the offense, that helps. And even when he's on the floor, like, and that was something that they used to try to do with Lowry too. And one of the reasons why they played uh, Van Vliet and Lowry so much together is to allow Lowry to play off the ball. They want Van Vliet off the ball in part because he's a great shooter, but also to take some mm-hmm. of the, the toll off of him from an offensive standpoint. Um, and maybe, maybe you try to hide him a little bit defensively. But I, I think when you're talking about like the biggest needs for this team, they need more shooting. They could use a big, but getting a, a, a legit backup point guard who can absorb some of those minutes from Fred, that has to be at the top of the list for Masai and company this summer. It'd be cool for fantasy if they just trusted Malachi Flynn. Cause we saw, I think the prior year when he got chances, he was like Fred Van Vliet light. Like he was a really, 
a really good fantasy guy, but even last year for like a week before he yeah. got hurt, I think it was a hamstring injury. Yeah, and then it weirdly like Chris Boucher would go like be the guy who got a big minutes bump when Van Vliet was out. The Raptors truly playing positionless basketball, as you've mentioned a few times. Uh, well, hey, Josh, this was great. You can follow this guy on Twitter at JLU1050. Much appreciated for stopping by. Tons of great insights. Hope you continue to enjoy the offseason. Thanks, Matt. Anytime. Thanks. Hey, have a good one. See ya. All right. We are going to continue. More coming up, including a look at the NBA Finals. But first, a very quick break. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. And this is just a reminder, if you don't have the NBC Sports Predictor app, powered by PointsBet, go and download it now. The contests are free and easy to play, and you have a shot to win thousands by predicting what will happen in the NBA playoffs on the PGA Tour and NASCAR circuit. We also have a special contest every Tuesday and Thursday called Battle of the Bets, where you can agree or disagree with our experts for a shot to collect some cash. Okay, Brad Stonebreaker now joins me. Brad, first things first, how are you? How is your, uh, how's your week? How's your month? How's your year? What's going on? <laughs> All, all of the above are, are good. Uh, it's good. June somehow, okay, uh, which, is, which is weird. Correct. But yeah, yeah, already almost halfway through. But yeah, good. Josh was awesome. I don't know how to follow that up, but I'll, I'll try my best. <laughs> yeah, I, I was, I was, uh, I was blown away. Tons of great insights on this Raptors team. Uh, rather than spend thirty minutes rehashing every word he said, which we could do, I do want to get a few of your impressions. Like, what, what do you take away from that? How are you adjusting your your draft and fantasy outlook on the Raptors in the wake of that conversation? Yeah, I mean, kind of similarly to what you said, mostly I'd say the biggest things were OG and Gary mm-hmm. Trent. The whole thing where OG was cleared and just not playing uh, yeah. and Josh decided that could, could be a sort of tolerance sort of thing. I thought that was very interesting because he, he only played 48 games last season, then 43 the season prior. And he did say there were fluky things like that hit point. I think he said was in practice, which is just so just bizarre. And so, so fluky, like I said, so I I really want to trust him because he, he was great when he played and he got a ton of hype in the preseason too. He had such a good preseason, moved up a ton of draft boards, mine included, Mm -hmm. but I feel like with all that in mind and the low games played the last couple seasons, uh, I might have to drop him back down until, I learned that he can build that tolerance or um, right. play through things, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
It does. And I mean, and it's not like we're even talking about, oh, well, he only played 60 something games. He only played 48. Is that what I said? 40, yeah, 40, uh, 40, 48, yeah. 48. And that was 43 the year before. I mean, fluke injuries. Yes. As we said, but I don't know. It's, it's a little worrisome. I think, I think he's still very draftable, but move him below his ADP below his rank from last season on your draft board to account for that. I think. Unless you're just willing to totally gamble, which is also fine, too. Yeah, as for Trent, that was interesting, too. I hadn't really thought about keeping an eye on what the Raptors do. So that's a situation to monitor as well if they bring in a big man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do we do about Scotty Barnes now in in the wake of this? Like, how, how, how early is too early? I mean, I'm not asking for an exact number, but, but what do we do? I mean, how you don't want to reach, but you also don't want to miss out on a guy with that kind of ceiling. Yeah, I mean, he finished as a sixth rounder in, and he played sixty-eight games too, which is which is huge. And if he makes some of those jumps, you mentioned like the what, what's he at? He's at fifteen, what seventeen, eighteen points, maybe eight and a half, nine boards, and maybe ups his his blocks like ever so slightly. Like that's the third, third could be third yeah. round numbers, like at least yeah. you know. Uh, I don't see him falling past the fifth in most leagues and I think he could be taken as early as the fourth in in competitive leagues and if a guy really wants him I, I think someone could take him in the third very easily and I don't yeah. find it hard to believe that that could pay off either yeah I, I was thinking while we were you were just talking there the th- the third round kept going through my head mm-hmm. like he, he could be a third round value and might be worth taking there any other thing else for you Raptors wise that what, what about Siakam I mean if we hear that Siakam, who just averaged 23 points, eight and a half rebounds, five assists with pretty good defensive stats, I mean, can can do more with a with a full offseason. He he can't really fall past the second round, right? Yeah, yeah, no way. I'd say if especially if he gets his free throws up. If he posts I mean, free throws weren't even bad, just under 75%. But if he posts like similar or even identical numbers and gets his free throws up, I mean, I, th- I think you have to take him in the second, or at least towards the end of the second at worst, because his numbers are just really good. He's just kind of that can-do-it-all sort of guy that fantasy managers just absolutely love and want on their team. And you get excited when they play because you never know what they could do. He can drop 40 and 10 if he wants to, like, given nights, or he could get those four-steal, three-block games. Like, it's, he's one of those very fun players to, to roster. Yeah, and and so far has held up under the for the most part. I mean, yeah, shoulder surgery last year, but held up under the heavy Nick Nurse workload, which is like the best of both worlds, right? You see, guys like you you love Van Vliet playing thirty eight minutes a game, but there's a downside to it. He, he broke down a bit. Siakam just powered through it basically, and uh, and was yeah an absolute stud. So yeah. I don't think I can draft really draft him early enough next year. Yeah, about a month ago, um, Nick Nurse did say that. I think his words were it would be advisable to cut Fred Van Vliet's minutes, which is totally yeah. a Nick Nurse thing to say. Yeah. So I, I can't trust him. I trust his rotation, but I can't trust what he says. Um, right. But I, I just, I mean, 38 minutes is so many minutes every night. And he did play 68 games, at C, or 65, excuse me. It seemed like he played fewer just because he had that, that lingering knee issue, like for a, lot of, a lot of the time after the break. But I mean... Yeah, I, I don't know. I, in a way, I think cutting his minutes to like 35 would help him get to what maybe 70 games, assuming n- nothing 
no, no other freak injury happens. I think that would be beneficial, even if his numbers dip like ever so slightly. Mm. But getting more games out of him, I think, would be huge. So we'll see if that actually comes true, or maybe he'll just play 42 minutes a game, or <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> you can't trust Nick Nurse in the in the best way imaginable, though. You know, oh, I can't trust this guy. He keeps playing his guys tons of minutes. I mean, you got that's the best kind of can't trust him, um, except for except for Boucher, the great outlier. Well, good times. That that was great, as you said. Uh, awesome to have Josh on the show and some some bona fide beat writer insights. Yes. Is yes. uh, is always cool. He's you know when the guy can say, "Oh, I asked Nick Nurse about that." You know, it's a nice, <laughs> know. nice thing to be able to add. Yeah. Um, uh, all right, Brad. Let's spend a few minutes here before we depart talking about. And by the way, I mean news wise, we're in a we're in kind of a I don't want to say dead zone of the NBA calendar, but I mean. So much of the news out there right now on our player news page is kind of around the finals. There, there's a few things out there. The draft is approaching. We're, we're creeping up on things ramping up in a big way. But really, obviously, the finals finals is it when it comes to what else there is to talk about right now. And in game one, Celtics beat the Warriors 120-108. Brad, as I'm sure you saw, a close game. We're, you know, we're, finally, you know, I was watching with a couple of friends. It was like, finally, we got a classic a classic playoff game, you know, like this series is going to be different. And then, of course, the Celtics flipped the switch, 17 nothing run, 20-2 to run it turned into in the fourth. Outscored the Warriors 40-16 to in the fourth quarter, Brad. Apparently, uh, because we can't have any nice things in these playoffs, the most one-sided fourth quarter in NBA Finals history is what I read. Yeah, yeah. Um, it felt eerily similar to the game one against the Heat. Um, when the Heat just totally flipped that switch in the third quarter, as the Warriors did last night. But yeah. in complete contrast, the Celtics just flipped it right back and just absolutely dominated in the fourth. A couple of stats here. Yeah. Uh, they yeah. went on a 17-0 run in the fourth, which is the longest fourth-quarter run in the finals in the last wow. 50 years, with the exception of the Spurs going 19-0 versus the Nets in Game 50, 6. 50, did you say? In the last 50 years. 50. Five zero. Yes. So there's and one other one other run that was longer in the last fifty years in the finals. in the finals yeah, in the fourth okay. quarter. Wow. Finals. Yes. It's a very fourth niche quarter. selection yeah. of, of numbers, but st- but still, that's there's a lot of games. That's a lot it's of games. It's not that played. you hear some stats that are like, okay, you just put like nine <laughs> qualifiers on it. This one fourth quarter of the finals last fifty years. There's one other run longer. That that's pretty easy to digest. Yeah. I can take. Yeah. That. Very much. And secondly, Boston's the first team ever to win. A finals game by double digits while trailing by double digits heading into the fourth and wow they were they had a at one point i think during the like late in the third they had a four percent chance to win the game and just like no one really no one believed in them and then you score 40 points in a quarter after scoring in the 20s for the three before that and you know that'll 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 do it (laughs) that'll that'll get the job done and and away from home too like that's huge they have advantage now yeah, which of these teams has zero zero combined games of finals experience? Because I, be- I believe it's the Celtics. <laughs> it was yeah. like 123 to, to zero or something like that coming in. Yeah, um, just, just insane. Yeah, man, it's it's also so weird to on a night where Jason Tatum was mostly bad, three for 17 shooting. He did have 13 assists, so I mean that that obviously helps to offset that bad shooting, but. Mostly bad Tatum, or at least very, very off Tatum. And not totally, totally, totally peak Curry, but a really good version of, of 
Steph Curry, 34 points, five rebounds, five assists, including 21 in the first quarter, that the Warriors lose that game. I mean, if you're a Warriors fan today, I, I got to think the recurring thought is how how did they lose that game? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, Steph was like so good in the first quarter, but also the Celtics just weren't defending him. He had two, like he had six threes in the first, and I think yeah, a ton. Most of them were like just wide open. They're doing drop coverage against him, which if there's one single human in the world to not play drop coverage against, it's it's Stephen Curry. So, <laughs> I, I I mean, Adoka made adjustments. Uh, rightfully so, and it seemed to work out. We had a pretty quiet uh, second half, all, all things considered, especially after the huge first quarter. And uh, on that front, I, Draymond, I think Draymond said that they dominated. He was, he said they dominated the game for 41, 42 minutes. Mm-hmm. So, like, they're, he's not worried, or like he'll be, they'll be fine. And he and Clay both said it's, it's a, it's a race to four, not a race to one. So they seem to be in, in good spirits, which. It's all good points, but they just got bashed in the last, like, honestly, the last 12 minutes, the last quarter. They just got yeah rolled. The Celtics shot, what was it? Were they 9 for 12 on threes in the fourth or something like that, I think is what I read. Al Horford, Renaissance man Al Horford, 26 <laughs> points, six three-pointers in his first finals game. Derek White came up huge, a guy who has not been scoring big in his postseason, 21 points, five threes. And Jalen Brown really... Uh, kind of took over, other than Horford, as like the go-to guy getting tough buckets with Tatum struggling, 24 points, seven rebounds, five assists. Brown really hit some tough jumpers, and especially one kind of corner wing three, I remember especially. I was like, wow, that 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 guy is, is locked in. So, man, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think back to the Celtics-Heat series when the Heat won game one. It's like, oh, man, maybe the Celtics are in trouble. Like, you definitely don't want to overreact to a game one, even though, you, as yeah. you said, the Celtics did just, you know, take home court advantage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it bodes well for the Celtics that Jason Tatum might have been, just looking at the, the numbers, it, numbers can't tell the whole story. The 13 assists were his most ever playoffs or uh, regular mm-hmm. season, but he might have been their fourth or fifth fourth or fifth best player last night. I mean, Derek White was fantastic, like very similar to game six, Derek White. He had like four, like 21 and four threes, but they mm-hmm. did, they lost that game and he came up huge, especially late. And Al Horford turned 36 today and he hit six threes last night and he's never done that in his, what, 14, 15, 13 year career. I don't however long he's been playing. Period, I mean, any game, any game career, single career high? Yeah, no, that's his career high for any regular postseason wow. anything. Yeah, yeah. just it, you can't you can't you can't make it up. <laughs> I'm truly I'm blown away by this whole Al Horford thing. I continue to have trouble processing it. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to throw a few bucks on Al Horford Finals MVP just for fun, kind of. You never. Know. Yeah, well, do you have that? Uh, do you have those odds in front of you? Do we know what I those do not. are? I, I could find it real quick, but. I might take well, a quick second. I'm in California, yeah. so we're not allowed to yet. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, you hit on Derek White. What an incredible pickup he's been for the Celtics. Any any other parting thoughts for you on this series, Brad? Um, I do. You, I, I still feel like I'm still sticking with my Warriors pick here. Uh, I, I did say I, Warriors in six, which is now looking a little <laughs> a little more ominous, but. Ominous, but very still good. very, very doable. The Warriors are, are so good. I mean, Clay was pretty quiet. Steph was Steph was great. 
uh, Andrew Wiggins, we haven't talked about it. He's just been awesome. Like he's really living mm-hmm. up to the hype from nine <laughs> years ago. Uh, finally, yeah. but, uh, he's been incredible. Ar- arguably their second best player, um, at times clay was great end of last series, but I think we need to see him score at least 20 with a couple threes instead of 15 on yeah. six and 14 or whatever it was, but they're fine. They have, they have so many weapons. Um, they, they get another home game and, I I would like to think they'd tie it up. Uh, I hope they do, of course, but um, we'll 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 see what happens. Hopefully, it's it's, it's close because we haven't seen many of those kinds of games in the last few weeks. The other guy the Warriors need to be better is Jordan Poole, who yes. has been really good, really good in these playoffs. But nine points on two of seven shooting, and two yeah. assists, four turnovers for him in twenty five minutes off the bench. So yeah, that's yeah. uh they they need they need more from him. They have so many weapons that one of them can take the night off if they need to, but having Poole and Clay both be like fairly quiet, I, I don't think that's going to yeah. work, especially against a team as good as as good as Boston that's capable of making runs like they did. Yeah, and it, yeah, I think I think they need a more aggressive version of Clay as well. I mean, as you said, only fourteen shots. I think that was the third most on the team, and only took two more shots than Draymond Green, who was two for twelve. By the way. Over yeah. four on threes. How happy yeah. are the Celtics every time Draymond shoots a three? By the way, yeah, but very, very thrilled. His shots like weren't close either. I mean, it hurts seeing him him shoot the ball sometimes. <laughs> I'm a firm believer that you got to shoot him to keep the defense honest sometimes. But four might be might be on the north side of of how many you need to shoot. Yeah, I think that's a, like could be three or four too many. To be honest, <laughs> let's call it. Let's call it one to. Let's call it one and a half. Let's, let's say one and a half is the is the optimal number. Okay. Well, game two, we have to wait until Sunday night, right? I know. What, what's that all about? What am I going to do? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Go outdoors? I have no idea. I'm I'm trying to figure out some kind of plan here, Brad. It may involve yeah. golf. Not positive, but um, yeah, we'll have to. Who knows? Maybe watch get baseball. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. All right. Well. With that said, uh, that's going to bring us to the end of the line on this episode. want to say thanks to everyone for listening and watching live with us. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Take a minute to rate and review us as well. We're back Monday, Wednesday, and Friday of next week. And thanks again to Josh Lewinberg for coming by to talk Raptors. Brad, thank you for joining, sticking around to talk finals. I will talk to you soon. First, thank you, Matt. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.